It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're off and running with a lot going on. Will Kane will be on with us in studio, and Admiral James Javidis is standing by. I don't want to take up too much time. I want to get to the Admiral, especially with the Afghanistan president in town, but I do want to say the vice president is off, and uh, she's in El Paso, number one. Number two is we're following the, uh, the ugly circumstances surrounding that building collapse in Miami, four dead. And we just had a press conference, and we covered it on Fox and & Friends. And instead of the number going down of unaccounted for people, it is now up to 159, as 55 units were just smothered. Uh, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. On the issue of critical race theory, et cetera, I'll, I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. But I do think it's important, actually. Uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. Uh, One thing has nothing to do with the other. That's uh, General Mark Milley, head of CENTCOM, CRT, the military and how every American family has a stake in this game. Number two. I'm sure her planners told her that if you're going to go down to the border, uh, go to a uh, something that's uh, safer to go to that is politically safer, but she does do the check the box and go down to the border. Yeah, Henry Cuellar is so disappointed, a Democrat in the Rio Grande Valley. He knows that's a problem at the border, but the vice president chooses to go to El Paso, where the problem is not nearly as bad. Finally, the VP is going to the border, but she's going to the wrong section. We'll talk about what of substance could get done. It doesn't look like much. This is all about beating Donald Trump to the border, who announced he'll be there July 3rd. Number one. The bipartisan bill from the very beginning was understood there's going to have to be the second part of it. Not just signing the bipartisan bill and forgetting about the rest I, that I proposed. I proposed a significant piece of legislation in three parts. And all, all, all three parts are equally important. Really? You're going to jam it down everybody's throat. Uh, President Joe Biden, not so fast, talking about a deal. He declares a deal done on infrastructure. But uh, in the next breath, he comes out and says everything that, I nego- that has been negotiated will be in a separate bill and you'll have no say in it. Why would Republicans sign on for that? Let's bring in Admiral James Javidis, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander at NATO, currently a member of the Carlisle Group, and another uh, uh, has another bestseller out. you got to go grab it, especially because it is plucked out of the headlines. 2034, a novel of the next world war. It's how we would take on and what could lead to a war with China. Admiral, welcome back. Hey, good to be with you, Brian. Just watching that building collapse in Miami, that's, you know, my hometown, and I'm— uh, very saddened to see that. And as you said, numbers going in the wrong direction. I think that's going to turn out to be a real tragedy. I don't know. We don't, we're not used to seeing a building collapse without a natural disaster accompanied with it or a, or a bomb. Uh, yeah. Did you have any sense with all your, with your years of experience and everything that you have seen in your life, what could have happened? No. And I'll tell you, I've seen that syndrome, you know, in 
countries in Central America or Sub-Saharan Africa where construction standards aren't good, there are bribes paid to inspectors, reinspections don't occur. You, I've never seen anything remotely like it in the United States. What it reminds me of is the Oklahoma City bombing. Remember the visuals from that? Yep. Um, obviously, no bomb here would know that. So this has got to be, I think, a construction issue seems to be the current theory of the case. But, boy, they need to rip that apart and completely understand what has happened because that whole part of the country, it's all it's condo city down there. So if you're living in one of those other buildings, think how that feels to you right now. Yeah, absolutely. But the, and the other reason uh, I always love having you on. But the main thing is what's happening in Afghanistan. President Ghani yeah. is here. Now, uh, Karzai, you know him. He's an ingrate. Yep. did not miss an opportunity to put down America and make us question our allegiance to him and the country. Ghani is different. Uh, I was on with General Keene two hours ago who had dinner with Ghani last night. And he doesn't. he's hoping for somewhat of a commitment instead of a wholehearted exit. What's the best scenario we can hope for? How do you see this thing going once we leave? Uh, Ashraf Ghani is a good friend. I know him very, very well. I worked with Karzai when I was the Supreme Allied Commander, but I've been closely in touch with Ashraf Ghani, President Ghani. Uh, What he will ask for is not only economic, diplomatic, um, uh, developmental aid, which is already on the table, what he really wants and I think we owe it, is uh, support from over the horizon. And I'm sure Jack Keane told you how hard that is to do. We don't have a string of bases around Afghanistan. And what the Afghan security forces need is air support. So I am uh, waiting to see what the Pentagon's plan is. Uh, they did announce today, Brian, you might have seen it, they're going to keep uh, 650 troops in country. That's specifically for protection of the embassy, protection of contractors, but it's it's just not enough. And I am very concerned. I'll, I'll close by saying, unfortunately, you saw the intelligence reports that predict the strong possibility of a collapse of the uh, Afghan government in six to 12 months. I think those are accurate. I'll put a percentage on it. I think there's a, a two in three chance that the government collapses over the next 12 months, probably one in three, that it can continue to hold together. Ghani's doing everything he can. He's making the right move to come to Washington and put pressure on the administration. So it wouldn't take much to sustain the government, give it some more time to try to stand up on its own, give another generation a chance to understand what's at stake. Um, and I think he's earned it. So I'm, I'm hoping that he can win some hearts and minds as uh, above the 650 troops. For example, what about some armed drones? Well, he, they can fly oh, their yeah. own drones. They have that technology. What about leaving some contractors on the ground? There's, there's thousands there. They, most of them want to stay. What about providing the protection to allow our contractors to stay on the ground? I mean, does Joe Biden, President Biden, want to be there as Afghanistan goes to the Taliban and we evacuate an embassy like it's 1975 again? It's going to be terrible to watch, and of course, we'll see it all on our television screens. And I think the administration uh, has got to realize that, again, there's a two in three chance this thing goes completely sideways. And I think you've outlined uh, a couple of good points. Uh, again, over the horizon, as I mentioned, that's manned uh, aircraft coming in, even from long distance if we have to. We've got aircraft carriers. I commanded Enterprise 
in that region, in those waters. We launched uh, hundreds of strikes into Afghanistan. There are drone solutions that can be piloted from Nellis Air Force Base. And as you say, if you put even another uh, thousand troops or even armed contractors to protect the contractors that are doing the uh, important work on maintaining the air force of Afghanistan, and they have an air force and it's flown by Afghan pilots, uh, it's the maintenance that is crucial. So there's some ideas. Uh, let's hope those are, are being explored. And I can tell you as a fact that the vast majority of senior military, um, retired and active, who have served in Afghanistan, um, are, are deeply concerned and don't want to see this thing fall apart right in front of us. Exactly. So uh, knowing that politicians will do it and you can't control your destiny, if you're at CENTCOM, you know that uh, General Milley probably agrees with you. And the Secretary Austin probably agrees with you. And you have guys like you have sway with both administrations, but especially I, I imagine with this one. Is there anybody that could get in the former chairman of foreign relations in the Senate's ear and say that doesn't have to be all or nothing? Many of us are doing exactly that, and we're privately advising the administration. We're working on the Hill. Um, and I'll tell you a subset issue that you're very familiar with are the 20,000 Afghan interpreters and support personnel. We cannot abandon them. We must get them out of the country. And that's been truly bipartisan. I'm seeing Republicans and Democrats step up to this. There's uh, probably 18,000 of these Afghans who work closely with us. I had my interpreters. Uh, everybody did. Uh, we've got to get them out. Those plans, I think, now are moving and will be publicly starting to roll out very shortly. Well, so there's a small win in the midst of all this. We've got it, what kind of bothers me is that they feel they have to get out. And, and yeah. you know, of course you want to be in America and not Afghanistan. I get it. But the fact that they have to get out for their survival means we lost. It's, uh, it is a marker of defeat. And yet, Brian, it's so important that we protect them and get them out. Oh, I agree. Um, and, and but give, let me give you one other point that's worth on the positive side here. The Taliban are not popular in Afghanistan. The vast majority of Afghans remember what it was like to be under the Taliban. Uh, so if we give them the space, I think there are uh, hundreds of thousands of Afghans who can still yes. uh, step up, fight this. And Ashraf Ghani is very dedicated. You know, he's a guy, he, he has a PhD. He could leave tomorrow and go to Harvard and have a great life like Mikhail Gorbachev did. He's going to stay till the end. And I, I think there are plenty of Afghans who are willing to do that with him. We've got to give them the space, the armaments, the resources. Right. They can still pull this thing one in three chance we can keep the wheels on this thing. Uh, I'm talking to Admiral James Travitas. His book is out. It's really excellent. It's 2034 novel, The Next World War. Admiral, what people should understand, too, they, you know, with, and a lot of Trump supporters are like this. Well, who cares about Afghanistan? We should have been out a long time yeah. ago. Well, we should be focusing on China. Well, we are because China's focusing on that region. And we could choose to abandon the Middle East, but we're going to – we can't thoroughly abandon the Middle East. It doesn't – it's not in our national interest to do so. Why would we give up a base between China and Russia? We should not. And, of course, you're talking about Bagram Air Force Base is uh, just outside Kabul. I've flown in and out of there hundreds of times. It is 
a strategic gem. And it's only one reason Afghanistan is important. I'll give you another. Afghanistan is sitting on top of a trillion dollars in strategic minerals, notably lithium. Guess what lithium does? It goes in the batteries of all these electric cars we want to build. It's ultimately, when security is established, a treasure trove of strategic minerals. And then thirdly, it's that international commitment. What do you think uh, our other allies and partners, Taiwan, uh, partners we want to win, like India and Vietnam, what do they think when they watch Afghanistan collapse? South Korea. Uh, South Korea. Yeah. Okay. America will collapse when things get tough. And I just don't think we have a right as outsiders to decide what our military should do. It's not up to me to say I'm tired of the war. Oh, I'm not fighting the war. I'll help finance it any way I can, and I'll support it uh, the best way possible, and I'll report it uh, as, as as often as I can. But it's not up to this person walking the street to say I'm tired of the war. If the military says we this is our objective, people should be more attentive to that. Don't you agree? I know we're civilian controlled, but there's a reason yeah. why I'm not calling the signals for the Giants, even though I've watched thousands <laughs> of games because I didn't go to practice and I haven't got I didn't play football in college, let alone go pro. So I can have an opinion. But it, you should you should not let people that don't have a stake in the game decide the game. Completely agree. And this, I think, is where there are responsibilities for those of us who are retired but yes. do have deep experience here. Jack Keane, myself, uh, Dave Petraeus, Stan McChrystal, John Allen. These are generals. Uh, who fought under my NATO command in Afghanistan, they know the situation. They know the score. Uh, Many of them are speaking out privately or publicly and will continue to do so. And hopefully over time uh, we can have an impact on the policy. How will you know if Ghani made, besides calling him, uh, if he made progress today? We know the number is 650. We think the number is as high as 50,000 that will look to move to a third country and then over to America. I get it. But how will you know if they could they actually make progress today in the Oval Office with the odds of them actually getting to the president's better senses? I think the odds are high that Ghani will come away with commitments for uh, resources, money, military equipment. I think the odds are fairly good that he'll come away with a commitment Uh, for a serious over-the-horizon support to his troops, if you will, air support. I think the chances are low of reversing course and simply telling the Taliban we're going to go back on this withdrawal. That ship has sailed. Now we need to understand what we must do to avoid a repeat of 1975 Saigon. All right, Admiral, congratulations on your book, 2034, novel of the next world war. I appreciate your insight. Thanks so much, Brian. Talk soon. You Bye. got it. Meanwhile, when we come back, uh, you're, uh, I'll, I'll be able to go over the other big three items that I gave over, including the vice president of the United States is now uh, doing what she should have done 100 days ago, and that's go to the border. Why El Paso? We'll discuss when we return. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. 
It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm sure her planners told her that if you're going to go down to the border, uh, go to a uh, something that's uh, safer to go to that is politically safer. Uh, if you go down to the Lower Rio Grande with a high activity and you're there with kids and families, prosecutorial discretion where people are being released, high numbers of people crossing the border, uh, you know, politically, that's it's harder to do that. I know that. I mean, that's part of my district. But you got to do what you got to do. You just can't. Uh, you know, just go to one place, but she does do the check the box and go down to the border. Well, look, he's trying to be diplomatic, but Congressman Henry Cuellar has been a real hero. Taking on his own party, I'm sure he's iced out of the White House. He's in the Rio Grande Valley sector where it's an absolute mess. The border's a sieve. He's never seen anything like it. He's trying to tell the White House he caught, uses his channels to get to them, uh, but no one has been coming down. And now with Title 42 on the uh, on the on its deathbed, meaning we've turned around 650,000, 650,000 would be illegal immigrants coming into this country because of the pandemic. If you get rid of Title 42, then all of a sudden they are allowed to come in. So now there will be one less reason to turn people around to the border. And we've already gotten, a, on average, 180,000 apprehensions a month, let alone people we don't even know cross. But instead, she goes to El Paso en route, I think, to Los Angeles, where maybe she's going to go home for the weekend. This is unbelievable. Why is she doing this? It's because Donald Trump's going there July 3rd. They might not admit it, but it is absolutely true. The what do they call him? The second gentleman, Doug, said this about her. Cut 22. Trump today said the reason she's going this week is because he's going next week. What do you make of that? Look, Kamala Harris is not driven by any political issues or political pressure. She's really just doing what the right thing is to do for this very important job that the president entrusted her with. And she's done such a terrible job. It's called not interested in doing it. I don't want to look bad by failing in it instead of rolling up your sleeves and doing everything to make it work and let everybody be convinced you're the heir apparent for the Democratic Party. Every time she opens up her mouth, I see her in action. I see somebody that is faking it, is in over their head and doesn't put the time into study. And the person who is not over their head, even if she's not, you get your vote for the next president. She's got to be a strong contender as Nikki Haley, former governor and ambassador. She said this about that. Cut 25. By the way, 
Thank goodness for Donald Trump, or we would never have gotten Kamala to the border. It's been almost 100 days. If this is how she handles a crisis, God help us if she ever becomes president. And that's what people are planning. If you watch Joe Biden 48 hours ago uh, talk about police reform, not only did the content of how he wants to fix the problem look bad, he could not make a clear sentence. He made absolutely no sense. And yesterday's bizarre leaning forward and whispering thing really made any civil, uh, any rational person wonder how sane he is. Although he was a little bit clearer in the morning. Don't put Joe Biden in front of a teleprompter after 6 p.m. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There won't be an infrastructure bill unless we have a reconciliation bill. If only one comes to me, I'm not, if this is the only thing that comes to me, I'm not signing it. It almost makes your head spin. An expression of bipartisanship and then an ultimatum on behalf of your left-wing base. It is so true. The most bizarre compromise deal I've ever seen in my life. Will Kane is here. He's hosting The 7 this week, but you'll see him on Fox & Friends this weekend for eight hours doing a great job. Will, I, so I, I'm watching these senators come out, and the president surprises them, and they make, that, they make those remarks. They say, listen, we've got the framework of a deal here on infrastructure. It's going to be $575 billion of new money. The rest is going to be repurposed money, and we're going to get money without raising taxes. We're going to militarize the IRS, which is going to be problematic, and we're going to do some other things with fees. And he later says— I will not do this deal without another deal for everything that the Republicans negotiated to get out of it. We'll put it into a package and we're jamming it down your throat. What could be wrong with that? So it's a con job. Totally. The Republicans in that quote unquote bipartisan infrastructure agreement have to feel hoodwinked. They have to absolutely feel like they got the okie doke pulled on them. I don't know any other way to read that. Brian, unless they didn't, are they that stupid? Oh no, please! Do you think Mitt Romney knew the second package was demand? Surely not. What's the point in a bipartisan bill that gives the Democrats what sixty percent of what they want, forty percent of what the Republicans want, to only come back and learn that the other forty percent will be forced through reconciliation? I can't imagine Mitt Romney even signing up for that kind of expectation. See, I what, what I thought. Was the deal. I, I guess the logistically or uh, constitutionally, they can do one more reconciliation package this year because they already got one. So you got one more. All right. So I thought if you break it up to things they might be able to agree on, which they did, it'll be it. Then we go back and try to negotiate on something else. Name it what it's supposed to be. Maybe it's human infrastructure or whatever you want to call it. Uh, something so- societal, whatever catchphrase they think would uh, would <laughs> uh, would test well uh, at in malls. So. They say not only do they not do this subtly, they say it flagrantly two hours day, later. Yeah, not, I will not, not a day sign after. one with the, without the other. Right. So why would anyone do that? And no, so he killed his own bipartisan bill right there, right? No one's going to sign up. No one's going to give it the votes, right? Yeah. I mean, it's an agreement. It hasn't been passed. So now that's dead. So Wouldn't you assume? Yes. So Joe Manchin said, get this stuff out and I'll sign on to it. 
But did Joe Manchin give a, a wink and a nod to say, get it out and I'll go sign on to it on reconciliation because they can't do it without Joe, uh, Joe Manchin. Everything that Joe Manchin said he didn't want in that bill, which is school lunches, free preschool. So now we find out if Joe Manchin is a fraud or not, if he, yeah. if he signs on for reconciliation. Well, as long as he keeps the filibuster, he's not a fraud. But which is a tough move, Kristen Sinema too. Tough move. I give them all the credit in the world. But like, like I say on the voting rights bill, right? Joe Manchin said so many great things, and then he turned around and basically, as you point out, when you brand it something different and they get basically all the same things they want, Joe Manchin signed on. He got voter ID out of it, right? Which shock. Right. Everyone's into voter ID, meaning everyone eighty percent like approval rate. He said, "I well, he said I voted for it just to let debate it." Uh, so they didn't get to 51, so they didn't, couldn't debate it. I don't know. But he did sign on to that. Uh, but he said they had only signed on to it because they knew it was going to pass because we don't have 10 votes. Mm. So it's crazy stuff that's happening. But it just brings you back to Georgia, too. This is only happening because of Georgia. If they if they win one of those two seats, they're both favored to Talking win. Talking about Republicans. Republicans. Yeah. But having said that, they also know in a year and a half they're going to lose the House. At least. Right. So what is it? It's a rush to absolutely get everything possible done that is on your wish list, because in two years it all comes to an end. um, I want you to hear Joe Biden say this. So so is everyone following this at home? They did come to an agreement and Joe Biden did take on his left. But upon further review, he only took on his left because Bernie Sanders has a six trillion dollar six trillion dollar bill. By the way, real quick, what a bad poker player. He didn't have to say that yesterday either. I know. If he, if he wanted to appease his left, it could have been, hey, listen, AOC, chill for like a month or two. Let's get this passed, and then we can take up everything else on reconciliation. But yeah. he went out, like you said, within two hours and goes, nope, here's the grand strategy. Here's the big plan. So, yeah, uh, I mean, we could play a few things, but here's Bernie Sanders, cut nine. Let me make it clear uh, that there will not be a so-called bipartisan bill without a major reconciliation package. Uh, What we are seeing in America today, and we've seen it for decades, is the very rich are becoming much richer, while working families are struggling economically, and it is high time we started paying attention to the working families of this country and address the existential threat of climate change. Oh, that one too. Of course, that'll work. Yeah. Uh, And by the way, you always get that. If we just spend another trillion dollars, then we can finally get the earth to cool off a little bit. (laughs) I mean, it's really somebody can get to the just a trillion dollars (laughs) short. And China's doing such a great job. As we speak during this show, they will build two more coal plants. (laughs) I mean, I just I did an unofficial study. Uh, So uh, so I I was stunned by this because I am under the belief, the naive belief that if you want to lower the temperature in this country, start cutting deals. And this way, Will Cain and Brian Kilmeade debate who got the better of the deal instead of who's going to win the next election. I mean, as soon as someone wins elections, well, let's hold out until we can win our own election. And I thought this could be the beginning because there's so much in there that Donald Trump wanted that George Bush talked about, which is true. This is like pretty much an infrastructure bill. I'm sitting here trying to think if I accept your premise that the way to lower the temperature in this country, not on the globe, but in this country, is through bipartisan bills, through agreements. And I think you're partially correct. Why, why is the temperature so ratcheted up? It's because of vilification, first of all. We look at each other based upon racial lines, party lines, whatever, and assume the worst and vilify each other. Second, force. We're, we're shoving things down each other's throats. And, and I keep saying each other. The Democrats have the levers of power. They have the levers of the major institutions in this country. Just barely. Well, but if you start factoring in all the cultural institutions on top of that, including the tech institutions, they keep shoving things down our throat. Points of view, even, I'm talking about. So 
so to 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 embrace reconciliation to get your your agenda across only feeds into that yes you're correct then thus raising the temperature but i'm not sure a bipartisan bill on infrastructure was going to do anything to truly lower the temperature so in other words this had the potential to raise division in america but i don't know that it had the potential to lower it here's how we would have done it you could honestly say it would have been great for joe biden's fortunes because he really would be the moderate senator. It would be hard for Republicans to vilify a guy that just cut a deal with Republicans, especially if Mitch McConnell had signed on He's going to turn around and call him racist the next day on something else, Could though. be, but that would be a dumb move. I'm just saying at, if you do this and then you can get them fixated on China, which is a national problem, like mm-hmm. we were fixated on the Soviet Union, it was a problem for both. Who's going to be better at missile agreements? Who's going to be better at defense? Who's going to be stronger in, you know, in, the, in the proxy wars around the world? So— I want to bring you to Mitch McConnell. So Mitch McConnell was out of this. He was with Senator Capito. He said, I support you. Go and negotiate a deal. And then Capito gets her legs cut out by this bipartisan deal that's been cut out behind closed doors. So wait, you're working on a bipartisan deal? I'm meeting with the president before he goes to Europe. And my own party's meeting with other with Joe Manchin and, and Kirsten Sinema behind my back. And then next thing you know, uh, he gets a call from the president. I'm done negotiating with you. I'm going to Europe. She has to call a press conference and say, I thought we were making progress, and I heard everything's off the table. Cut out by her own party. Now, Mitch McConnell the whole time said, I was backing her. What just happened? Mm. So here he, here he is yesterday, because leadership did not sign off on this. Pelosi is not into this bill. Here's Mitch McConnell, cut 16. You could best be de- de- described as a tale of two press conferences. Uh, after the first one, the president walks out with a bipartisan group and blesses an infrastructure bill that many of my members are quite optimistic about. And then after all of those people depart the White House, the president goes out for the second press conference and says, unless you pass my tax bill, I won't sign the infrastructure bill. Mm-hmm. So what it does is put my members, including myself, who were optimistic about doing a bipartisan infrastructure bill in the position of our Democratic friends having to guarantee that the 2017 tax bill is unwound. That's our one red line. We're not going to revisit the 2017 tax bill, which is an enormous success for the country. Right. So what are you doing? It's a, it's a you just waste of my time. It's, it's, right. I mean, look at what they did agree on. Electric buses, $7.5 billion. Electric vehicle infrastructure, $7.5 billion. Passenger freight train, $66 billion. Western water storage, $5 billion. Power infrastructure for grid, $73 billion. Environmental broadband, uh, $55. $266 billion for overall infrastructure. And they've set up a infrastructure bank, which is a great idea, I always thought. $109 billion for roads and bridges. Safety, $11 billion. Public transit, $49 billion. So they signed off on it. How are they going to pay for it? Unemployment insurance? Uh, and insurance program integrity. They're going to go over and see who's where the fraud is. Reduce the IRS tax gap. The IRS, they're going to be sitting there with uh, war paint on, trying to get every dollar off anybody who's made any money and didn't vote for Joe Biden. Macroeconomic <laughs> impact of infrastructure investment. They think overall we're going to make money on fees. Reinstate Superfund fees for chemicals. Extend expiring custom user fees. How allow states to sell to? or purchase. Yeah, it's not going to pay off. I mean, they're not. It's definitely not going to add up to it. But we're going to hit with a bunch of fees on everyday usage. Right. You know, it's upping the tolls on the roads. So. That, and then you're probably going to talk about this weekend, if you're not talking about the Miami uh, collapse and that tragedy, Mm -hmm. I imagine even tonight, percolating below is police reform. 
they came out with a, a framework of an agreement on police reform. I wish there were police at the table. I'm not. I, I like Tim Scott, but Tim Scott never wore the badge, mm. and certainly Cory Booker didn't. Even though he what should. What they know. put in the t- police reform? We don't framework. know yet. We're about to find out about what's in the police framework. Which I, after getting educated and talking to these guys and like going into their training center, I am not for eliminating no knock warrants. It's, it's a death sentence for everybody, including the criminals. And then getting rid of um, a, a qualified, qualified immunity. You got to be yeah. kidding me! How could that possibly be? So those are two things that they thought of and they just talked about chokeholds. Those are things they kind of agreed on already. I don't know the details. I'm in for giving money to smaller cities and departments for additional training if it has to come from the federal government. But so they might have something else there. You, you've gone with police and they said it's a death sentence, no-knock warrants. Getting rid of no-knock warrants oh, is a goodness. death sentence. I've seen it demonstrated over and over again. I mean, yeah. put it this way. Uh, we're behind glass right now. If you knew behind glass, Allison was doing what she used to do when I found her, selling drugs mm-hmm. uh, and with Eric. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, but if I was doing that and you know they had guns and arms, you want to knock or would you right. rather surprise them? Right. I mean, they say, well, you can wait on the outside. Oh, that always works. Oh, we can wait on the outside forever. So then you you come out. You don't know if they have a gun. You That is an option. But they show me, and when you go in with while knocking, they get armed, they shoot, they hide in the closets, boom, boom, boom. Who wants to get caught in the crossfire? Mm-hmm. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. But what you could do is make it stricter and harder to get a no-knock warrant. Prove to a, maybe two judges that this is really Brian Kilmeade is a, uh, is a guy that is running a drug cartel, and we do have to surprise him. And this is where he's located. Here are the photos as opposed to what happened to Brianna uh, Taylor that was knocking on the wrong door, shooting a, an innocent woman who had nothing to do with the takedown. Yeah, the problem. Yeah, and I'm. The, I, you know what? I'm going to be quite honest with you and the audience. Like, I want to read more into the pros and cons of no knock warrants because if somebody blows through my door and I don't know who it is. There's a good chance that I'm firing if I have something handy. If I'm, I'm talking about a legal citizen, right? You're sitting in your house. Somebody doesn't announce themselves. They come flying through the door. Maybe it's dark. Maybe it's at night. There's going to be bullets flying. True. So you're saying that. So then you got a cop firing back, and you just create a situation that's a bad problem. But right. I understand they have to go through hoops and hurdles. I understand right. they have to go through a judge. This is not – it's going to be the rare exception where this is right. an innocent person who's a law-abiding citizen who's Would you rather have the leader of a drug cartel check you on the ring doorbell and then get that armed and get his well, gun the ring choice? Doorbell. Does the ring doorbell make all this debate right. somewhat? Yeah. somewhat. <laughs> yeah. I guess if you walk up close, it's kind of – yeah, the ring doorbell has destroyed the no-knock warrant. We'll talk about that. We just solved the problem. Um <laughs> Uh, Will, we'll take a short time out, come back, and then we'll find out exclusively what's going to be on 7 o'clock tonight. And oh, I have weekend. no idea. <laughs> can, you, can you at least help me with the tease? I'll think about it during Try the it commercial again. Try it again. Try it again. So, Will, when we come back, I'm going to get an exclusive idea of what's going to be on your show tonight. Explosive new information. Fantastic. And breaking what's going news. to happen this weekend. And breaking news. Only told here. Yeah. Right. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. And you said when people are waiting for relief. I got them. $1.9 trillion relief so far. So she I wrote the bill on the environment. Employers can't find workers. I said, yeah, pay them more. He closed by saying, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow, that was the punchline? That's a little disappointing. <laughs> uh, that was uh, Jimmy Fallon, obviously, on The Tonight Show last night. Uh, Will Kane is here. We're about to get this exclusive. It's just that Will Kane's not going to be delivering it uh, on his own show. But, Will, up, your reaction when he leaned so forward and did that? So creepy. You, I was watching you this morning. Uh, flipping back and forth between what happened last night, Sports Center basketball, yeah. Brian Kilmeade's latest. And I heard you say to Jillian, hey, as remarkable as the whisper is what he's saying, hey, pay them more because I'm giving them money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, he's, I gave my he's, money. He, yeah, he's your money, meaning yeah, everyone listening money. money. Yeah. Um, he's admitting to the disincentive of unemployment insurance right. and government stimulus checks to employment. So pay them more. <laughs> I mean, that's just it. And by the way, what is the whispering? I mean, it's got to scare the hell out of his, uh, of his staff. And I want to say this. I'm going to repeat this, and I want to get your take. I watched him give that press conference mm-hmm. when he came out about how he's going to fight crime. And we've all read the prompter, and I've had bad days, and I, I, don't, I haven't seen your bad day yet, but maybe you have, have had a bad day in the prompter. This guy could not get a sentence out. I mean, could not get a sentence out. Didn't know the copy. Couldn't he's see it. 80. What, he, isn't he 80? What is 78. He but look at Bernie Sanders. Probably older. Well, he nobody, doesn't read a prompter. Right. But put it this way, nobody thinks Bernie Sanders lost his fastball. No. He never had one. If you ask me, I don't like what he says, but nobody says to him like he's he's out of his mind. He's not. Does that worry you when a guy comes out there and is that out of it? Does, are you or am I overstating it? No, I could you're not, not overstating what it. I was seeing. No. It's the it's the conversation we're not supposed to have. It's I don't know, unseemly? Is that what it is? Or, or, or it's a, a low low blow is how it's, it's painted? That the leader of the free world, at best, doesn't have his fastball. At best. At worst, whispers in weird ways and stumbles <laughs> all over the place. It's, it's really, look, I'm not even talking about being eloquent because Donald Trump is not eloquent. But no, I, I didn't think anyone thought that uh, he's no different to when he was 45 than now that he's 75. I Actually, we all both, if you cover sports, you've seen Donald Trump in and out of boxing and around major events for years before he was running for politics. But, Allison, you have Will's exclusive, oh. right, about who's on Will's show tonight at 7. Is that true? I feel like it's just a, I'm a good source. Don't totally quote me. But you may or may not have Stephen Miller, okay. uh, Pete Hegseth, Chris Rufo, maybe Jason Ranson, Clay Travis. But they might be canceled by the time you get to I 7 mean, o'clock. I mean, you know how this but... show goes. How, how, <laughs> solid do you feel? how solid do you feel about that guest Right, list? so you're saying Allison – was not being uh, journalistically sound in reading that. No, I think she is. She's like Dr. Fauci. That's the facts <laughs> as they are to, right yes, now. I give the disclaimer. <laughs> right. And if you question Allison, you don't like talk radio. So me, that, you know, No, because of science. If you question Dr. Oh, Fauci, you don't you. like science. I got you, right. So if you don't like the show, you just don't like talk radio. Yeah, attacking Allison is like a talking, attacking talk radio. How dare you? Right. Uh, so now, meanwhile, for eight hours, Saturday and Sunday, you're doing something else. You have different makeup, different hair for Fox and Friends Weekend, <laughs> right? Yeah. And on that time, do you remember any of the guests you promote this morning? Yes, you. Okay. You're on. I, I remember I'm that. I'm going to be talking about my special 10 o'clock on Sunday. You, I think you have – are you having Kevin McCarthy? Does that sound familiar? That does sound familiar, right. yes. Allison, are you going to help me out at Do all? Do you hear my voice? This is <laughs> yeah. not smart voice. Listen to the tone. It's all deep. He's and- scared. He's scared. <laughs> will Kane will be fascinating. Pete won't be. But Rachel will bail them both out. I'm kidding, Pete. Uh, he's putting on his gel. He's not listening right now. Hey, Will, thanks for joining me. Thank you, man. Good luck tonight. All right. And thanks for almost wearing a tie. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Senator Bill Haggard, he's going to be joining us. He's on Foreign Relations Appropriations, and you know, uh, he's a senator from Tennessee. Uh, he's now in there, replaces uh, Mr. Corker. Uh, he's going to be with us, and then Chris Wallace at the bottom of the hour. And we will not be taking your calls, but we will be taking your comments at BrianKilmead.com. It's kind of, I, I might even be better to get everything in writing. So, so many of you, thankfully, are going back to work. We're actually watching the Vice President of the United States give her comments as she lands in El Paso to pretend to be interested in solving the border problems. So we'll bring back those comments in a moment, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. On the issue of critical race theory, et cetera, I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. But I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. That's fine. That has nothing to do with the issue. That is... uh... The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley. CRT, the military and how every American family has a stake in this game. Number two. I'm sure her planners told her that if you're going to go down to the border, uh, go to a uh, something that's uh, safer to go to that is politically safer. But she does do the check the box and go down to the border. Right. He's trying to be diplomatic, but Henry Cuellar thinks it's cowardice. Cowardice, I believe, for her to go to El Paso, way up north, and not go down south where they're actually crossing the border by the thousands every day. On average, 6,000 illegals. They're coming from everywhere. Coming through our border. We'll talk about how the vice president has landed, what the comments are. Looks like Dick Durbin's there along with the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas. Number one. The bipartisan bill from the very beginning was understood there's going to have to be the second part of it. I'm not just signing the bipartisan bill and forgetting about the rest I, that I proposed. I proposed a significant piece of legislation in three parts. And all, all, all three parts are equally important. Yeah, really? Well, that is total a ruse. Not so fast. President Biden declares a, de- a deal done on infrastructure, but it's the deal that's not done. The one that's coming next that'll blow up this one. Are you kidding me? Republicans are crying foul, and why wouldn't they? Uh, okay, we'll get started now. Hey, so we'll take in some of those comments. So Dick Durbin, the vice president, uh, have already made their comments, and the secretary of Homeland Security has already made his comments, and they're going to be in and out in about two hours. What do you plan on accomplishing in two hours, especially if you're going to go inside a facility? Do you know what's also there? You have a major fort. Uh, in that area, Fort Bliss, which is holding unaccompanied minors. If you really cared and wanted to care about those kids and made sure, wanted to make sure that those kids are okay and they'd be treated the best possible. By the way, I hear they're not, especially the teenagers having major emotional problems. Who wouldn't? Locked up without a family in a total strange land, now on a military base, wondering what's going to happen next? By the way, this is Congresswoman Veronica Escobar. She's going to be speaking too. Texas Congresswoman Democrat and a friendly face for the for, for the former uh, senator from uh, California, who's now vice president. So that's why she's there. Henry Cuellar is doing the right thing by coming out and speaking out. And if they were smart, they would have made him in charge of the border, along with Mayorkas, special envoy. And they would have, if they wanted to solve the problem. Instead, I'm probably they'll try to pro, uh, now primary him. Uh, you can be certain. She's actually taking some questions, so she does terrible on these questions. And, of course, we're going to get the nervous giggle, uh, which will be totally inappropriate whenever she tries to do it. Uh, But in terms of what should be happening at the border, 
Joe Biden said this as he was leaving his press conference yesterday about his vice president, Cut 20. What are you hoping the vice president can do at the border tomorrow? He's done a great job so far. And the reason why it's important that she go down, she's now set up the criteria. I've been spoken with the president of Mexico, visit to the region to know what we need to do. Thank you very much. So I want you to hear the vice president taking questions now on, on why she's there and what she's doing. Let's listen. And I'm coming to the border at the at the advice and the and actually the, the invitation of the congresswoman uh, is about looking at the effects of what we have seen happening in Central America. And um, so I'm glad to be here. It was always the plan to come here. And I think we're going to have a good and productive day. Why did you think now was the time? Great. Okay. 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 Is, um, they're on the ground. So she looked nervous. No question. She is not comfortable in unscripted situations. Looked very nervous. So you saw the congresswoman. You saw the secretary of Homeland Security. And you saw Dick Durbin. And you are not going to get any answers. It would be great if she had answers. She goes, I want to go to the root causes. No, no, we want to know the effects, the effects of what happens when people can get in our country. And now you're promising them vaccines, not you, but people in your party. Here's Henry Cuellar trying to hold his tongue. The Democrat from Texas. Cut 23. I'm sure her planners told her that if you're going to go down to the border, uh, go to a uh, something that's uh, safer to go to that is politically safer. Uh, if you go down to the lower Rio Grande with a high activity and you're there with kids and families, prosecutorial discretion where people are being released, high numbers of people crossing the border, uh, you know, politically, that's it's harder to do that. I know that. I mean, that's part of my district. But you got to do what you got to do. You just can't. Uh, you know, just go to one place. But she does do the check the box and go down to the border. It's just uh, so disturbing to see her do this. Now, uh, the vice president doesn't want to tackle difficult problems. She's worried about a political future. What I would tell my staffers right away is don't worry about it. Let's try to fix it. Let's get the experts in here. What's Jay Johnson doing? He was pretty effective. Well, who else worked at the border? Uh, Tom Homan? Well, he worked for Barack Obama and he worked for Donald Trump. Maybe he can help me out here. So when maybe Tom Homan hops on another network or hops on Fox and says, you know, she's trying. I gave her some advice. She's taking some of it. As opposed to I'm not interested in it. I'll have a nervous laugh when asked about it. That's the difference. There's also something else to keep your eye on. Uh, There's a report today that two of uh, Kamala Harris's travel aides have announced plans to leave. So she's had very few foreign visits. She had just actually she had one. Now she's had a a couple of trips about this. Uh, She's in charge of getting the word out about the vaccine and voter rights. And she's been effective at that, a few symbolic moves. But this Carly Swintoska or uh, Gabriella DeFranchi, the director and deputy director of Advance uh, in overseeing travel, preparing selected venues for the vice president, have quit. And they said, well, she's working with their replacements. They're going to go. Who signs up for a job on travel and leaves in three months with only one trip under her belt? This shows me that something's going seriously wrong with her staff. Also, it shows me that they're not happy with getting these assignments. They probably have no say in it. So there's friction. I hear they don't get along as well. So Joe Biden says he's doing a good job. I don't believe a word of it. Henry Cuellar is disappointed. He's trying to be diplomatic. I don't believe that. I don't believe this. Nikki Haley is trying desperately to get back in Donald Trump's good graces as the former governor of South Carolina and successful ambassador to the United Nations. She said this. 
We know Donald Trump's going July 3rd, and that is everything to do with why we're seeing Kamala Harris here now. Cut 25. By the way, thank goodness for Donald Trump, or we would never have gotten Kamala to the border. It's been almost 100 days. If this is how she handles a crisis, God help us if she ever becomes president. Right. She was supposed to be the steady hand. Well, Donald Trump has a lot of positive qualities, knowing Congress was not one of them. That's why Mike Pence was the perfect pick. That is not happening so far with Harris. He's got the experience. She's supposed to have the energy and the insight, as well as understanding what people, uh, maybe her age, I wish she 56, 57, someone 20 years younger might be more... Uh, maybe more in touch with somebody uh, with what's going on in Congress. This is a guy that hasn't been in the Senate in eight years. Maybe understand people, use some levers of power. I have not seen it yet. The other big story is what's happening on infrastructure. He was the, in the announcement. Now picture this: you got Mitt Romney, you have Susan Collins, Kirsten Cinema, you got Joe Manchin, Senator Bill Cassidy. You have um, uh, who else was out there? Senator Warner of Virginia out there talking about a bipartisan deal that they've worked through, worked on for the last three weeks, and they finally got done. Listen to the optimism. Here's Susan Collins, Cut 12. We've agreed on the price tag, the scope, and how to pay for it. It was not easy to get agreement on all three but it was essential. It was essential to show the American people that the Senate can function. Right. Essential to show, yes, for about 20 minutes. But then the president went out and said, yeah, I love this bipartisan bill. We didn't get everything we asked for, but it doesn't matter. I got another bill coming that gives us everything we want, and I'm going to jam it down your throat through reconciliation. Is that something Republicans can sign on to, even if they like the bipartisan compromise in the morning. I say no, but for Senator Bill Haggerty, he'll answer you exclusively next. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, it's not my first trip. I've been to the border many times. I'm the person in charge of the response. So the important aspect of this visit is leading this visit after the work that we did in Guatemala and Mexico. Because as I've long said, I said back in March I was going to come to the border, so this is not a new plan. But the reality of it is that We have to deal with causes and we have to deal with the effects. Right. We know that. We understand the problem. We have we we know that we've been on this country, been on this planet for a while with the vice president finally on the ground in El Paso. Talk to people as she landed. She'll spend about 90 minutes there. Realize she can't solve the problem and leave. Senator Bill Haggerty joins us now. Foreign relations appropriations. But he's a senator from Tennessee. Senator, what do you think about the vice president making the trip today in the city she chose to visit? Well, I'd say 90 days after she's named the czar responsible for the border crisis, she finally gets there. I think it shows the complete lack of urgency on behalf of the Biden administration, the fact that this really isn't uh, the crisis they want to deal with. What they're trying to do is turn the border into a turnstile and process as many people as possible. And the fact that she chose El Paso, 
which is a thousand miles away from where the, uh, the the biggest part of the crisis is unfolding down near McAllen. That's what we see on TV every night. Um, I think it just goes to show uh, their their lack of seriousness altogether. It's funny. Uh, Ted Cruz pointed out uh, earlier this week that uh, El Paso is further from McAllen than Chicago is from Washington D.C. And the problem is, Senator, it, 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 it's ongoing. You know, we get to pull out, and I can talk about other things. And you have people in Tennessee you have to deal with. Uh, and want to deal with and represent. But the people in the Border Patrol, they don't get to break, have a break. What, what hope do they have that this thing is going to, going to be, be, be addressed? Brian, this is so demoralizing. Uh, I cannot imagine um, how the good men and women that are our Customs and Border Patrol are dealing with this every day. They are absolutely overwhelmed. We've got record numbers of people uh, flooding across the border illegally. They're overwhelming our Border Patrol. Uh, they're not able to deal with the influx, therefore, of illicit drugs, uh, the human trafficking that's going on. When I talk to sheriffs and law enforcement right here in Tennessee, they are seeing record numbers of overdoses and deaths from, guess what, yeah. fentanyl coming from China, which is being manufactured in Mexico and pushed across the border. This is all part and, part, part and parcel of the Biden border crisis. And the real root cause, I went to Guatemala in Mexico a month before uh, Vice President uh, Harris did. I spoke with the president of Guatemala. He told me what the root cause was. The root cause is the messages coming from the Biden administration, messages like, we'll treat you better, we'll reunite families, we'll take care of children, we'll provide $15 an hour minimum wage, $1,400 checks for illegal immigrants. Those messages are marketed by the coyotes to the most vulnerable elements of the population down there. They're risking their life savings. They're giving their children over to these coyotes, and they're risking their lives making a very treacherous journey. The people in Guatemala and Mexico are very upset about this, too. But I heard. When we talk about root causes. Yeah. That's the root cause. Right. Uh, they're not happy, and they're speaking out with her present, which is unbelievable. It's such a slap in the face, but it's been underplayed. But meanwhile, we got uh, 180,000 people every month, 6,000 a day, coming through our border who are going to get social services. And now if they get rid of Title 42... Tens of thousands will be allowed to stay here without a, with, with us declaring that the pandemic is essentially over. So I just don't know how much longer uh, before we start breaking down and where other people are going to have to pay attention to this. Like Henry Cuellar is kind of breaking the mold for Democrats to speak up. But I want to get you on infrastructure. Yesterday, staggering news. We have a deal. The president says we have a deal. But then he says this at a press conference an hour later. What we agreed on today is what we could agree on, the physical infrastructure. There was no agreement on the rest. We're going to have to do that through the budget process. And we need a fair tax system to pay for it all. I'm not going to rest until it all both get to my desk. So by moving forward with this two-track system, are you putting the bipartisan bill in jeopardy? Sure. The bipartisan bill was, look, the bipartisan bill from the very beginning was understood there's going to have to be the second part of it. Not just signing the bipartisan bill and forgetting about the rest I, that I proposed. I proposed a significant piece of legislation in three parts. And all, all, all three parts are equally important. Senator, what is he talking about? Does he really think that you guys are that stupid to sign off on a bipartisan deal to just get the other two jammed down your throats? 
I mean, you, you know my background, Brian. I'm a business person. No, no business people do deals like this. Um, it, it's, it's preposterous. What he's, what he's really saying when he talks about as part of the budget process, that's this part called reconciliation, which is the opposite of reconciliation. It means a partisan, complete jam through. So they'll put this through on 50 votes plus one, the same way they did the $1.9 trillion, quote, COVID relief package that had very little to do with COVID. They'll, they'll jam the rest of these social programs through. Um, then they'll – he talked about a fair tax. That's COVID for coming back and undoing the 2017 Tax Act. The 2017 Tax Act is when President Trump put our nation on the road to becoming the economic juggernaut that it was up until the pandemic. They want to tear that all apart. They want to punish job creators. They want to make it impossible for small companies, medium-sized companies, to grow their businesses, to transfer their businesses to their to their family. Uh, this is going to be devastating to our economy, and we need to be uh, extremely careful as we look at this. Do you, have you uh, talked I, to I anybody in those meetings, Senator, from Collins to Romney, uh, do they do they understand? Did they get duped? Did they are they fully aware he's going to sign this other deal on everything they negotiated out of the first one? He's going to put in the second one. Brian, I wasn't with them in those meetings, uh, so I, I don't know what the conversations were, nor have I talked with them since this was announced uh, yesterday that they had a deal. But the devil's always in the details. I, I'd like to hear more about what they negotiated, but at the same time, they may have learned just like you and I did uh, when Biden had his press conference that he's hell-bent on having you know three components to this, one of them the tax increase, the other the, the reconciliation component, and then what he's calling a bipartisan um, infrastructure package, but that's just a carve-out of stuff where he can get agreement. I I think it's smoke and mirrors, frankly. Uh, There's not going to be much bipartisanship if he tries to jam this entire thing through. Leslie, Afghanistan, Ghani is meeting with uh, the vice, the president today. He is desperate to let him know this country will fall in six months if they don't get some type of support. What would you recommend the president do? Well, I met privately with President Ghani yesterday. Uh, We had a a long meeting over breakfast, and he's in a very difficult situation. Um, I tried to explain to him that the Biden team went through a very uh, highly charged election in 2020. They arrived making an unprecedented number of executive orders and decisions without putting adequate planning in place and without working with our partners to the extent that they should. Uh, He needs to get clarity. He needs to understand the degree of support that he can anticipate and plan on. He's got major military infrastructure there in Afghanistan that they know how to operate, but they've relied on American contractors to support. I mean, if if his military, if his Air Force is grounded, how does he utilize it? If he can't maintain it, how does he utilize it? These are simple, straightforward planning exercises that should have happened before this announcement was ever made. So he's trying to work his way through a, a, a rational plan to deal with uh, the the ultimate removal of American troops. But this needs to be done in a very orderly fashion. Otherwise, you're going to see what's already begun. Uh, A void is created. You're going to see the Taliban step in. They've now taken over, I've read, 50 districts there in in Afghanistan. Uh, It's going to create a void that's going to create a disaster. Senator Bill Haggerty, always educational to talk to you. Uh, Best of luck. Have a nice weekend. Chris Wallace next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Now it is time to clear the airwaves for the Brian Kilmeade Show Pep Squad. We're number four. We're number four. <laughs> it's pathetic. Well, You've got to be number one. No holes barred and nobody is off limits. You have Sean Hannity. You have Mark Levin, Dave oh, Ramsey. Who's that? Who are they? For God's sakes. You're Brian Kilmeade. On his selfless quest to propel the Brian Kilmeade Show to number one. Can I just say that Sean Hannity could be listening and this could cause tension at the Christmas party? Yeah, but what the heck, you know. (laughs) And still never forgetting the little guy behind the scenes. Number one, and that should be the bottom line. You don't settle for anything less. But you got to stop turning on this (laughs) down. I mean, I'll go along with it. Chris Wallace. Yes, Chris. Uh, I guess I was a little I was a little down on myself last week. I didn't realize being number four would be would be something that I would never get Norman Vincent Peale to sign off on. Well, I, I, let me just ask because I know that you talk to real people after you talk to me. Did people agree with me that that you know saying I'm happy with number four was not the American way? Um, more people agree with me. What, that four is good? Well, I just, I'm just, you have to understand, you know, Mark Levin is a force. Sean Hannity is a tornado. He's been dominating for 20 plus years. Uh, He's got better hair than me, clearly. He he has a huge house and a helicopter. He does have a helicopter? He does. I need to, I need to, I need to talk to my agent. There's clearly there's <laughs> something wrong here. Well, no, he's, you know, you know, <laughs> he's, well, got he's, a, he's got a helicopter. Yeah. Wow. He just well, needs a helipad. I, even, even without the helicopter, no, we're not settling for number four. We're not settling for three or two either. We are going to propel you right. single-mindedly. You are going to be the top radio talk show host in America if it's the last thing I do. So you're going to focus less on you and more on me, even with all your kids absolutely. and your grandkids? Right, well, you, need, you, need the, you need the help more than I do. So, <laughs> yes, absolutely. <Okay>. <laughs> all right, that's fine. Well, I'm, I'm happy. Considering we were, we were 98 uh, nine years ago, we couldn't believe we broke the top 100. Uh, but, but, Chris, just moving on right now, yep, I, sure. I have a theory that if you want to lower the temperature in this country, and I've said this to you before, start cutting deals. And it makes it more interesting, where your show even gets more interesting, if that's possible, because you talk about, well, who got the better, who gave in, and who got fees, who got taxes, uh, who got the tunnels, and who got the, you know, who got the electric vehicles. And you know, for a while, I thought, that's kind of interesting. They looks like they cut a deal. Joe Biden walked out there. There's Mitt Romney, Cassidy, and Manchin, and Collins, and Murkowski, and they cut a deal. Within an hour, Joe Biden comes out and says this, cut five. If only one comes to me. I'm not, if this is the only thing that comes to me, I'm not signing. So if only one bill comes to him, you know what the second bill is? It is going to be reconciliation between four and six trillion dollars. Everything Republicans and Democrats negotiated out and in, it doesn't matter. They're going to have to live with it anyway. This thing's been a ruse and a waste of time. Don't you agree? I, I wouldn't uh, set the death knell now, but I certainly agree they don't have a deal. And I would say it, the prospects for this are no better than 50-50. And as usual, you're 100% right, and which is why you're going to be the number one. See, I suspect uh, – I'm really getting in trouble here. I suspect with Sean's show or Mark's show, they're saying this is a deal. This is a bipartisan thing. But you have cut through all the noise, and you have come to the exact right understanding, which is 
you know, if, if the president says, oh, we've got a deal and we've got Republican buy-in and we're going to do a hard infrastructure package for a trillion dollars and we're not going to raise taxes and we're not going to undo the Trump tax cuts of 2017, and then in the next breath says, but we're not going to pass that. I'm not going to sign it unless we get another bill for a, at least $2 trillion and we undo the Trump tax cuts. If you're at Lindsey Graham has already said, I'm out. I'm not I'm not gonna go along with a bipartisan deal if everything that, that the Democrats gave out they're gonna pass anyway, uh, on a straight party line vote. So as I say, I don't think there's anything more than a fifty percent chance that this thing actually happens and it's we're gonna be talking about it all summer. Yeah, I you know what? I actually think it's dead. I I, I mean in fact I'm wondering, did Mitt Romney and the Republicans and even to a degree, the Democrats go in there knowing this second package was looming and was a given. And and Joe Biden said definitively, I don't sign this if I don't get everything I want in the next one. Here's what Lindsey Graham tweeted out because they went up to him. Actually, we had the sound. Uh, the sound is out there. He was going to California. They caught up to him in the airport. And he tweeted this out. It was never suggested to me during these negotiations that President Biden was holding hostage the bipartisan infrastructure proposal unless a liberal reconciliation package was also passed. And that's basically what Mitch McConnell said, too. Here's a little. I won't play the whole thing. I don't want to take too much of your time. Cut 16. You could best be described as a tale of two press conferences. Uh, After the first one. The president walks out with a bipartisan group and blesses an infrastructure bill that many of my members are quite optimistic about. And then after all of those people depart the White House, the president goes out for the second press conference and says, unless you pass my tax bill, I won't sign the infrastructure bill. He's not he's he's not inaccurate about anything he said. Well, the only, here's the only thing I think that's inaccurate. I, I don't think it was a surprise. I, maybe it was a surprise that he was going to say hit at the same day, but everybody knew that the president was going to have to was going to also go for reconciliation because the, the the left wing of the Democratic Party and you know both in the House where you got a four vote margin and in the Senate where you don't have any vote margin. I mean, you've got to get every Democrat to go for it. You had a bunch of people on the left who said we aren't going to go for this unless we get what we want, the, the human infrastructure, basically, a.k.a. social spending and tax increases as well. So I, I don't I don't know that I think it's a surprise that this was going to happen. Uh, but but, it, you know, it does express exactly why it's so going to be so hard to put this together. So. uh it's just disappointing. I actually thought that they were going to do a deal and he was going to stare down his left and Republicans were going to stare down their right and they were going to get something done. It makes it much better to do shows like this, even shows like yours, because we just keep waiting for the next election for anything to be done, especially when we all agree immigration has to get done and infrastructure has to get done. Everyone agrees with it. But we can never get past this first hurdle. And this new human infrastructure thing, which I don't even think makes any sense, is the, is the, uh, is the other uh, uh, fly in the ointment. But uh, we know the vice president has landed in El Paso. She has talked to the press briefly. Here's a little of her hasty press conference. Well, it's not my first trip. I've been to the border president, many times. As the person in charge of the response. So the important aspect of this visit is this visit after the work that we did in Guatemala and Mexico. The 
because as I've long said, I said back in March I was going to come to the border, so this is not a new plan. But the reality of it is that we have to deal with causes and we have to deal with the effects. So being in Guatemala, being in Mexico, talking with Mexico as a right. partner. And, right? that, and that went so well in Mexico and Guatemala. Both leaders spoke out to say you're an immigrant. You, you labeled an immigration president. People got the message to come. Um, so what do you think about her trip? And uh, do you really believe it's not related to Donald Trump's event on July 3rd? They have made a hash of this, the vice president and the White House. Uh, it would have been the easiest thing in the world for her to come down on her own terms. Frankly, I always thought she should go down first to the border before she went down to Mexico and Guatemala and ask these folks, why did you make this dangerous journey? And they'd say, because conditions are so terrible. And then you go down and you do it on your own terms. By waiting as long as she has, it seems like she's just crumbled under pressure from the press, who has been asking this for some period of time, and especially as you point out, because Donald Trump is going to the border himself next week. Here's the here's a little news notice I've got for the vice president and her staff. If she thinks that this means that Donald Trump isn't going to criticize her because she went to the border today when he's there next week, <laughs> they're smoking something because he's still going to criticize her and he's still going to say that uh, she did it under pressure and uh, political pressure and that the policy still stinks. I mean – I agree with her in the sense that ultimately you've got to solve the root problems because if you don't, uh, people are going to keep coming to the border. If conditions are so much better in the U.S. than they are in their home, they're still going to make this long and dangerous journey. But that's going to take years and billions of dollars. You, you've got to toughen the, the, the entry uh, regulations at the border if you're going to stop the flood of illegal immigration at the border. That's the short-term answer. And and look, why was there this big increase starting in, in February and March? Because uh, President Biden softened the re- regulations. He said that remain in Mexico was over. He said unaccompanied minors from the Northern Triangle countries could come in. And, and people heard that and said, well, I guess we, we've got a, a, a you know, a, a red carpet. We can come on in. And uh, they've they got to take some of that back. And having said that, that is going to create a big storm on the left wing of the Democratic Party if they now go back to some of the Trump policies. Absolutely. I want you to hear what the congresswoman who's hosting her, the reason why she's in El Paso. It's a friendly congressman as opposed to Congressman Cuellar, where the problem really is uh, uh, to the 10th degree to the 10th power. And they're just avoiding him. But I want you to hear what Congresswoman Escobar just said. To El Paso, welcome to my community, to the new Ellis Island, to the capital of the border. I am standing before you with a heart full of gratitude, uh, Madam uh, Vice President. Thank you for being here. So Great. grateful. To- Great. Remember when those illegal alien? <laughs> that's really going to be helpful, isn't it? Well, I mean, here's the here's the the laughable part of that. You're in New York. I'm in Washington. We are closer to each other than Kamala Harris is in El Paso to where the real flood of illegal immigration is down in the Rio Grande Valley in places like McAllen in the, in the southern tip of Texas. Uh, she's on the border, and El Paso is a not an insignificant place, but if you really want to see where the flood of illegal immigration is, it ain't where she is. Absolutely not. So, Chris, who's going to be on your show? Well, we're going to be talking about this with our panel, and you have not deigned to be on our panel, but we've got a pretty great panel, including Dana Perino, speaking of deigning. Uh, and uh, we're also we're going to focus this week, though, 
on crime because there's there as I'm sure you've been reporting on this show and Fox and sure. Friends. There's really a, a, a serious explosion in homicides and shootings around the country. It seems to be getting more and more out of control. You had uh, Eric Adams looked like he's going to be the mayor of New York City. Uh, he ran on an anti-crime platform. That's another subject, incidentally. How crazy is it to have a voting system where we are on Friday morning, the election was on Tuesday, and you still don't know who won the election? Nuts. Blank voting thing, I, I don't get it. You know, I just— If you don't get it, I have no shot at getting it. You know, you can put your well, first five I, people so in anyway, there. And that's you... another one of my—that's one of my pet peeves. But, you know, there really is this, and you've got this big spike in, in policemen— quitting because of the, all the anti-cop sentiment. So we're going to be talking to a top White House official. We're going to be talking to Jim Banks, the head of the Republican Study Committee, who's very critical of Biden and Democratic policies on policing, and also to the mayor of Kansas City, who's actually on the front lines. What's going on? Why are we seeing this spike in violence? And is there anything that can be done about it? I'll tell you one thing. The president did not mention gangs. How could you just go out there and mention guns and not the no cash bail and everything, the, the vilification of the cops that won over the last year because of Derek Chauvin? How can you go back and say, now I'm going to take some pandemic money. Obviously, I have way too much, and I'm going to give it to the cops. Oh, fantastic. So you admitted you got too much money, and we have it laying around. By the way, it's taxpayer money. It's not Joe Biden's fault. So someone should tell him that. Going big with other people's money is not a glory. You don't call yourself in glory with that. Uh, lastly, uh, so we we'll look forward to watching that. Uh, Afghanistan. Uh, Gahani's meeting with the president right now. For me personally— I'm, I'm watching us lose, and it doesn't have to be this way. We're just a few thousand, not in a hot war. Donald Trump started. Granted, I never was for that, but uh, they, the military was effective in pushing back. And I'm just hoping that the former chairman of foreign relations would see the 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 folly in leaving at the pace he's leaving right now. What do you think will happen? I think that he's committed to getting out. I think the country, it, you know, I'm of mixed feelings on this. I understand the idea of keeping a couple of thousand troops there. Uh, you know, we've kept 20,000 troops in Korea since uh, the 1950s, and uh, we've kept thousands of troops in Germany since the 1940s. And, you know, you just don't put them on the front lines and they don't get killed. Having said that, uh, some Americans do get killed. We've been there 20 years at a certain point uh you know if, if the if the afghans can't defend themselves it's on them and uh you know in the end i hate to say it but it, it's not in vital american interest. it's a vital american interest to make sure there's no terror attacks on the u.s that come from there but can we do that without having troops in afghanistan um maybe countdown to bin laden yeah can i just say one last quick thing yeah. This is the kind of magical talk that you get only on the Brian Kilmeade show. You don't get it on those other shows, numbers one, two, and three. I am telling you, you, you are going to up your game. I'm going to up our, my game. And we are personally, the two of us together, like Thelma and Louise, we are going to drive you right. to be the number one talk radio host in America. I liked everything except Thelma and Louise were, were outlaws. Uh, we're not going to break the rules. We're not going to get arrested, right? Well, actually, and they drove off a cliff. I think the about end. it. They also drove off a cliff. I don't know. That right. didn't end so well. Now but, that I, but the, you know, they did see Brad Pitt uh, when he was just a kid, so that's not bad. That's pretty cool. Countdown Bin Laden. Uh, you can pre-order it now. It comes out on nine eleven. Chris Wallace, thanks so much. We'll watch you on Sunday. You bet. Back in a moment. Educating. 
Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, Little Havana really was a neighborhood that began in the 1960s uh, here in Miami uh, for Cubans that were coming uh, from Cuba, uh, expelled by Castro when he nationalized all the property, when he was summarily without trial executing uh, political opponents of his. Uh, and we came to this country, like many uh, people, uh, wanting and seeking the American dream, and made this incredible area that has you know, taken on this character and gets millions of tourists and visitors every year. So that is uh, Mayor Suarez, this up-and-coming star on the right, uh, Republican, moderate Republican in Miami. And uh, that is a little of his conversation with me about his family and his uh, ancestors coming here from the 1960s to Little Havana, part of my series, What Made America Great. And we have four more coming out, and it's they drop on Fox Nation on Monday for those people who are losing, uh, disheartened by the rise of critical race theory and there's not enough pride in America. You'll feel differently if you watch this series, and hopefully you are very proud of these next four because through the pandemic, flying around, getting crews and everything, getting cooperation with museums and, and, uh, and sites is not easy. So we have four new ones. It's going to be a special Sunday night at 10 p.m. on Fox News Channel, and then they'll be expanded and dropping on Fox Nation available then on Monday morning. It's going to be Little Havana. It's going to be Greenbrier, the role it had in the Cold War. You're not going to believe it. Uh, Montauk, Long Island, this small, quaint town like no other on Long Island, that it links Teddy Roosevelt to George Washington to FDR, William McKinley sprinkled in between, even Richard Nixon. You're not going to believe the, the role that's played. And then we have a look at Hemingway. We go to his house in Key West and relive his life, where he lived for six years, America's finest writer. That's on What Made what made America Great on Fox Nation, special Sunday night at 10. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Radio Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. So, welcome to my community, to the new Ellis Island, to the capital of the border. I am standing before you with a heart full of gratitude. Uh, Madam Vice President, thank you for being here. So grateful with Secretary Mayorkas, to Chairman Durbin, and to all of you for making the journey. Um, this is a really... Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, the latest minutes, coming to you from New York, around the country, around the world. Shannon Bream is getting ready to join us, and then this uh, very sexy man named Jesse Waters will be here in studio, which will be fantastic. He's got a book coming out shortly, of course, getting ready to be on The Five, and I'll be on Outnumbered in 50-something minutes. Uh, You'll see me on Fox News Channel, but you're watching me now on Fox Nation. This just in. 
I find it interesting if this is successful. I'm sure they're going to do it in every state. The Justice Department is suing the state of Georgia over its voting rights bill. Republican state legislators around the country pushed a host of provisions, uh, according to some, that would make more challenging for people to vote. It's called it's called organizing the vote, in my view. But you see how biased this is written up. Uh, Georgia's Election Integrity Act, which was passed on a party-line vote, signed into law by Governor Brian Kemp. Now they're going to be start suing about this law because their whole voter legislation push, H.R. 1, S. 1, failed precipitously. Uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. On the issue of critical race theory, et cetera, I'll, I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. But I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. Uh, there you go. Uh, that is Mark Milley mischaracterizing what critical race theory is at the, uh, with the military. Uh, the CRT is in uh, with the men and women who serve, and every American family has a stake in this game. Number two. I'm sure her planners told her that if you're going to go down to the border, uh, go to a uh, something that's uh, safer to go to that is politically safer. But she does do the check the box and go down to the border. Wow, Henry Cuellar, what a letdown he must feel as the VP has landed in El Paso. We'll go and talk to some people with a very friendly friendly congressman and uh, walk around and then say this this, uh, border crisis is solved. What a joke. Number one. The bipartisan bill from the very beginning was understood there's going to have to be the second part of it. Not just signing the bipartisan bill and forgetting about the rest that I proposed. I proposed a significant piece of legislation in three parts. And all, all, all three parts are equally important. Yeah, they'll be fine. But why are you negotiating if you're going to get everything you want? Joe Biden, not so fast. President Biden declares a deal done with infrastructure. But then he goes and blows up the deal by saying, I got another one with everything I negotiated out. We'll now be in. Uh, joining me now to try to make sense of this is Shannon Bream. She, she hosts uh, Fox News at night on Sunday nights. Uh, excuse me, on every single night. Sunday she is off. I will not make her work then. Uh, Shannon, welcome back. Uh, thank you very much. Now, i got to ask you a question, though, yes. because you mentioned it with Jesse. Do you think you're sexier or he is? I would say, do I have to answer now? Can I think about it? Because I is there a mirror? Allison, up, you do you have a mirror? Decision. So I'll give you a little time. Uh, I'm going to say him. Okay. All right. At the end, I'm going to check and see if you change your mind. Okay, good. Do you promise at the end? All right. First off, what do you feel, how do you feel about right now Merrick Garland's making the announcement as U.S. Attorney General uh, the federal government is suing Georgia on the election law? Well, I think, you know, gosh, this is an opening salvo. I think, you know, we have so many states that are doing this or considering doing it or have done it. And I think it's sort of a kind of like a pushback pitch. I think it's a warning to them, like, hey, if you guys try to do this, we're going to come see you. But it's so crazy, as I've pointed out, just a few years ago, there was this big nonpartisan group that went through and looked at which laws and which states needed beefing up. They needed better, tougher electoral protections. And Georgia was one of the ones on the list. I think Texas was on the list, too. So it's like, okay, a few years ago, you groups thought that these, you know, there needed to be more of a crackdown and that we needed more, you know, tougher things in place in these states. And now that they're actually doing it, um, I think for a lot of people, it's going to be concerning that the DOJ is going to directly go after these states. But listen, vet it in court, uh, take it all the way to the Supreme Court, and let's see what they think about uh, things like voter ID. We know how the public feels about it. I mean, all the polling out in the last week shows vast, overwhelming, even the majority of Democrats 
Americans think that voter ID is a legit thing that they want to see their fellow Americans use. So, um, I get me some popcorn. It's going to be interesting. It is, and you know what? If it if it does pass the court test, they'll they'll say, well, the court's biased. But one of the provisions <laughs> right, that people course. yeah that people said was a big deal was sharing food and water with people online. They didn't want partisan people going up giving people gifts and T-shirts, and that you can get it, but when you get online, just have it with you. That's what that was mischaracterized right. by the president. But I'm I'm looking at this story. Uh, I guess it comes out of Politico. It is so biased the way it's written. The Justice Department is suing the state of Georgia over its controversial voting rights bill. Really? Okay. Republican legislators around the country have pushed a list of provisions that would make it more challenging for people to vote, moves that have targeted Democratic-leaning voters. No, this doesn't make it challenging for people to vote. It's reinforcing the integrity of the vote. It's instilling drop boxes, just not everywhere. They do have uh, they do have absentee balloting, but you got to prove that you're uh, you have a voter ID, and there is you have to provide excuse of why you're voting absentee, right? Yeah, and the thing is, this legal fight might actually be a good thing because there's been so much misinformation in the media about what is or isn't in the bill. You can't play that game in court. I mean, we're going by the text of the statute, so it may be very surprising to people about what actually is or isn't in there. And legal proceedings are dealing with facts, not emotions or hype or anything else. So maybe it's a it's a plus for the supporters of the Georgia law to say, like, great, now we're going to talk about what this bill actually does. I know. I hope they pre-thought it from the Republican, from the Democratic perspective, because it could really be embarrassing uh, because, Mm -hmm. you know, if they have a court victory here, then there, then what about Texas? What about other states that have reigned in their pandemic provisions? Uh, And that's what they were. That's what they were. These were specialized things that were to get us through a terrible once in a lifetime, we hope, situation. Did you watch President Biden announce his... Uh, his attack on crime. I did see some of that. Yeah. Did you? Uh, that was the worst I've ever seen him. He literally um, could not pronounce a word. He didn't know the text. He couldn't see it. And one word was into the other. He looked absolutely exhausted. I actually thought he was having a minor stroke. I mean, why are why are his aides not spotting that? Letting him say well, hello and letting an expert speak. Yeah, and and the thing is, you remember all during uh, President Trump's presidency, there were segments on stations that were not Fox that were psychological, you know, psychological profiles and experts and people saying he's not okay. We need to do an intervention. We got to talk about the Twenty Fifth Amendment. How many times did you hear that? And we had all these experts diagnosing him and all this other kind of stuff, where he takes the cognitive test and kind of makes fun of it because he thought it was so easy. Um, I just wonder where those people are. If if that if we're going to make diagnoses from the outside without treating somebody about whether they seem like they're stumbly or they're okay or they're not, those same people who did the segments on Trump should be doing them on President Biden. Absolutely. So this infrastructure deal, this was the optimistic side of the deal, was in the morning. Here's Senator Kristen Sinema, Cut 11. You know, there are many who say that bipartisanship is dead in Washington, D.C. and across this country. But this historic agreement today between Republicans and Democrats in the Senate and with the President of the United States shows that when a group of people who are committed with shared values to solving the problems and challenges our country faces, we can use bipartisanship to solve these challenges. Wow, it sounded great. Then Mitt Romney weighed in. Cut 15. This group came together and actually got a job done. I don't know how far it's going to get. I think it'll get all the way. We got the president behind it, this group here, but we're going to keep working together. We're not finished. We got other projects to take on, but America works, the Senate works, and we can work together. Really? Then Joe Biden said this, cut three. What we agreed on today is what we could agree on, the physical infrastructure. 
There was no agreement on the rest. We're going to have to do that through the budget process. And we need a fair tax system to pay for it all. I'm not going to rest until it all both get to my desk. And he said that he would not sign one without the other. What was the point of negotiating it if you took everything negotiated out and going to jam it down America's throats? I'm thinking that's how the bipartisan group of senators who were standing there is feeling. I mean, these guys have tried, and I think it's good to see. The American people want to see this, that people are making an effort. Nobody's going to get everything they want. The president said that yesterday, too. Like, nobody's going to be totally happy. You've got folks on, you know, the further left and right than these who are negotiating who are mad. They don't want this to go through. So if you now have the president saying, like, I'm only going to do this special, you know, joint deal, and we're going to have this reconciliation package, um, and you have people like Senator Bernie Sanders saying, like, you better be gigantic. And Senator Elizabeth Warren, like, this is a joke. We want a whole lot more than this. I don't know that this thing that they sort of at least tentatively hammered out um, yesterday at the White House actually gets across the finish line. I think that there are so many other um, voices in the mix uh, who don't like it. Um, and you got to corral enough people just to get to the magic numbers. Absolutely. And here's uh, Nancy Pelosi, cut seven. But this bipartisan bill is more of traditional infrastructure, which is important. But we have to do more in terms of how we go into the future. So let me be really clear on this. We will not take up a bill in the House until the Senate passes the bipartisan bill and an and a reconciliation bill. Do you understand that he she wants six trillion? Bernie Sanders mm -hmm. is talking six trillion. Are you, is she they're nuts more than we spent in World War II? On top of the one trillion that we they agreed on, it's dead. Everything's dead. So they, what was the point of this exercise? Do you think the Republicans went in knowing this? I actually think they went in with good faith, and I think the Democrats did too. I mean, these Democratic senators who were sitting there at the table with them, I think they all went in there in good faith, thinking, okay, we can do something. We can at least get the core of this thing done. We genuinely want to work together. Now, if the leadership of their parties doesn't like the end result and says we're not going to do anything with it. You know, those people can say we tried. I mean, and I do think when they when they went in there to hammer something out, there was good faith. Shannon, what's going to be on your show tonight? You don't even know, do you? Well, you know what? Sadly, uh, we're going to continue covering the Surfside situation with the collapse down there. You know, there are all kinds of new questions about what the heck happened to this building. I mean, you watch, it almost looks like a demolition video when you, you know, we've all seen the demolition videos of buildings when they take them down and it's a planned kind of thing. But you just don't know. There's so many questions about how a building that apparently got regular inspections, um, that, that something like this could happen. And so now that the numbers are growing as far as um, dead and missing, um, those efforts are continuing around the clock. And, you know, we heard um, one of the guys this morning, uh, police chief, I think it was, or fire chief, who was on with Bill and Dana, who said he had worked uh, the Haiti earthquake, and they actually found a child eight days afterwards. So people are very much keeping hope alive that there will be miracles there, and because of it's a 24-hour operation. We'll cover that. We've also been covering a lot of late-night things like, um, you know, rioting and unrest in a number of cities. That's an ongoing theme, so it's keeping us really busy at night. And uh, But first, I'll see you at 6 o'clock. I'll be filling in for there for Brett. All right. Uh, Shannon Bream working 24 hours a day. Shannon, thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Hey, do you still feel that Jesse's sexier than you are? He can now hear me. He's out in the You've hall. You've had some time to think about it. I would say Yes. I'm going to stay okay. with it. Yeah, I'm going to go with yes. I expect you to do the segment shortlist, the two of you. <laughs> of course. Why, why would I keep it on? <laughs> it's radio. I know. Give the people what they want. Thank you, Shannon. Uh, when we come back, Jesse Waters will try to make sense of his life. 
Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to El Paso. Welcome to my community, to the new Ellis Island, to the capital of the border. I am standing before you with a heart full of gratitude. Uh, Madam Vice President, thank you for being here. So grateful to Secretary Mayorkas, to Chairman Durbin, and to all of you for making the journey. Um, this is a really important day, and um, I, I have a heart full of gratitude because we finally have an administration willing to tackle the big challenges, challenges that our country has dealt with for decades. Yes, this administration's done a great job at the border. That was Congressman Escobar, and she wants to say to help out by saying, "Welcome to Ellis Island." That's what America fears: illegal immigration becomes normalized. Welcome to Ellis Island, as opposed to signing the guest book, you sneak in under the wire. The guest book. Jesse Waters is here, co-host of the Five, host of Waters World, and he's author of the upcoming book, "How I Saved the World." Jesse, is were those comments helpful? This is why I hate politicians. She gets up there. They blow up the border, and she announces, finally, we have an administration (laughs) willing to tackle these problems. They caused the problems, and now they're congratulating themselves. But the vice president goes to El Paso uh, a week before the president goes to uh, Rio Grande Valley sector because he wants to see what's been done to the border that he once secured. Coincidence? She got pressured and caved into going and didn't want to go and now went 800 miles away from where the action is. Imagine during Katrina— If W had gone to Shreveport, Louisiana, instead of New Orleans, hundreds of miles away and said, yeah, uh, we got things under control. No. Jesse, how about this? What if I'll add, I'll build on your analogy. Imagine if President Trump, uh, Bush was asked about it and said, I don't see a crisis with Katrina. Yeah, there's no crisis. Yeah, I I see a little water. Right. What's what's the big deal? Yeah, we're going to go to root causes (laughs) and we're going to go to the Caribbean where this giant (laughs) thing formed. Right. So you have to suspend disbelief, if I can quote Hillary Clinton, who remains my idol. This is like the (laughs) 100th straight week. Uh, I want to bring you to another soundbite I think makes a lot of sense. And that is from the second gentleman. Uh, He was asked about— Is that what we're calling him? Did I miss what Allison? Do we call him the second gentleman? Yeah. This, oh, I, I've I, never I, heard anybody referred to as the second gentleman. That was the first time I'd heard that. Am I the first one showing Jesse the etiquette needed <laughs> in order to host a show? People are always correcting my manners. It's fine. <laughs> well, I guess so. Here's Doug Emhoff. You call him Doug. Uh, <laughs> cut 22. Trump today said the reason she's going this week is because he's going next week. What do you make of that? Look, Kamala Harris is not driven by any political issues or political pressure. She's really just doing what the right thing is to do for this very important job that the president entrusted her with. So there goes that. There goes your theory. It's blown up. The High energy, gentleman. that guy. Wow. <laughs> that guy well, that's is, Doug. That's you know an Doug. exciting second gentleman. <laughs> You'd think some guy like that might actually have a little more firepower. But he has to say what he has to say. It's all lies. Jesse, uh, I got to ask you this question. When Joe Biden leaned over and whispered into the microphone, 
I was taken aback by it. I was felt like I watched a man losing it. Like when you're in a room, it's 12 noon, and somebody's really drunk, and you go, wow, this is a little embarrassing. So can we hear how the Tonight Show characterized it, uh, Eric? And you said when people are waiting for relief. I got them $1.9 trillion relief so far. So she might have. I wrote the bill on the environment. Employers can't find workers. I said, yeah. He closed by saying, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> so, I mean, what were you thinking? I liked you... it, Brian. Why? Here's why. He's so boring, and he, his cadence never changes. So for once, he changed his cadence. It made me pay attention. All right. What, the, what he actually said was scary that he thought he was saying something good. He's saying, pay your workers more. Do you know what he actually whispered? I gave them money that we don't have, it actually belongs to the taxpayers, right. in order to keep them at home unless you pay them more. So, I yeah. put my hand on the scale, right. and I'm bragging about it. I, they told us it was emergency funding. Then they said, hey, you have some extra money? Give it to the cops. Oh, really? Because I thought it was an emergency. We needed it right away. And now they're telling us, with that extra money, now you got to pay everybody more. You know those horrible restaurant owners <laughs> that were sitting there in the, in the blaze of glory through the pandemic? Now they got to pay their cooks more than their managers. Right. So he's now set up a system where the government is paying people not to work, and that now competes against the private sector. Exactly. And mom and pop can't afford to give big bonuses to dishwashers and waitresses. Perhaps Applebee's and the big chains like Chili's that you frequent when you go on the road, they maybe could jack up some wages a little bit, but the guys that, you know, the greasy spoons— they can't afford to give big bonuses, like signing bonuses. Like these, you know, here's Alex Smith, 19 from his parents' basement. Yeah. We're going to give him a $10,000 signing bonus to come on and work weekends. 46% of the people that got pandemic money used it to invest. Can you imagine this? In Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Waters here. When we come back, an exclusive look into his book, How I Saved the World. At least he said it's exclusive. <laughs> Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Critical race theory has nothing to do with being racist. It's about challenging racism. And in fact, critical race theory is uh, extraordinarily patriotic to ask us to do the hard work to be a democratic, free society. When you talk about parents who are concerned, I think that they're being frightened intentionally. Strategists on the Republican side are trying to pull on people's fear to um, lure them into thinking these horrible things about critical race theory um, and uh, to get votes and to mobilize uh, voters for midterms. You give the Republicans way too much credit. Uh, that is the associate professor. Of course, Jesse Waters recognizes his voice. Vincent Junkus. <laughs> yes. Uh, Junkuns. Junkuns? Uh, is that the way I say it? Junkins? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. He's an Ohio professor. I think it's. I think you play, had me play that, or you guys played that for a reason. So we're over. Uh, we're overreacting as parents. Yes. We're overreacting as a country, and Republicans looking to get votes. There's nothing manufactured about this. This is the definition of a grassroots movement. Parents reacting to what they're reading. This is the new Tea Party movement. I haven't seen that kind of grassroots Ever. activity since then. So. If you actually look at what critical race theory is, look at the critical race theorists and what they said. This is a direct quote from one of them, Applebaum. White identity is inherently racist. White people are born racist. 
You can't just say, oh, this is about fighting racism when the two biggest proponents of critical race theory are literally telling you that if you are white, you are racist. And, Brian, if you deny that, that means you're racist. If you say, I don't want critical race theory taught, that makes you a racist, according to Joy Reid. Right. When people are uh, totally mixing, and I'm going to play General Milley, who is uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. They're totally missing. It's not about Jim Crow. It's not about uh, segregation. It's not about the Civil War. It's not about slavery. That's called history. That's not what we're talking about now. This is vilifying white people in 2021 and your parents, by the way, if you happen to be unfortunately born white. Uh, Here is General Milley. Cut 29. On the issue of critical race theory, et cetera, I'll I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. But I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university. uh, And it is important that we train and we understand. uh, And I want to understand white rage. And I'm white. And I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders now and in the future do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. What's your thoughts on this? I don't know what white rage is. I mean, I get angry. It has nothing to do with my skin color. <laughs> and then... Is he interested in pursuing black rage, too? That seems to be a problem if that's what he wants to talk about. Black rage, white rage. People get angry no matter what their skin color is. And he talks about critical race theory. He says, whatever that is. He doesn't even know what it is. So he's other saying, don't listen to what I'm about to say because I haven't put the time in. Right. He doesn't know what critical race theory is. And if he did, he wouldn't be teaching it to our sailors and marines and service members so i i just thought he was all over the place he was lauded on every channel but he doesn't even go over it when you talk about mousy tongue Karl marx we all i mean i had to read my Kampf. doesn't mean i like hitler it was on the test they wanted to give us a wide range of what happened in world war ii mousy tongue that's what you should run you should be well read about your enemy and about other people and why china's china in 1949 i get it but that has nothing to do with the question. You answered a totally different question. Now, answer me this question. Yes. How hard was it to put together a book about yourself in all honesty? Your first book about yourself. I know I couldn't do it. I know uh, I could never do it. Why couldn't you do it? I don't think I could do it. At the end of the book. and I, You have to exact. This is your life. This is personal story. Okay. So at the end of the book, I believe I wrote this in the acknowledgments. Even I, Jesse Waters, got sick of writing and thinking about myself. (laughs) Which is hard to believe. I know myself better than anybody. I love talking about myself. It's really my only expertise. The only thing better is writing about yourself. I write. And I always bring things back to myself. It's just, it's, it's who I am. Right. But I think I got to a place in my life and where I could kind of reflect on my career. Uh, I got remarried um, and it was during the pandemic and I got to a place where I had the time and I had the energy and I just wanted to say, this is who I am. This is where I came from and let America know this is the deal. Right. And I did that. Hardest story in the book to write was? 
Well, the legal department had a few issues with some of the things <laughs> ah, that we talked about, so there was a few edits. That I imagine you, you could look at your tapes, right? Some of these. Well, that stories- was helpful because I have a terrible long-term memory, and I would go back and look at all the videos of me running around the South Central Los Angeles or the South Side of Chicago or going to the Mushroom Festival that Bill used to send me to, and I'd have all the transcripts and videos, so that was a little refresher. For me, so I didn't have to do it all by memory, and it was fun to look back and and see where I came from and and see where I'm going. Fun, okay, because you did you were when Bill O'Reilly said to Jesse Waters, "I need you to help me grab a camera and go out there." <laughs> was that in the back of your head? Was that always an ambition? Hey, if I've given the opportunity, I'd love to be on camera. No, I just liked ever watching- even in even in the beginning of college. No one ever no. said, "Hey, Jesse, you could do this." I was a mess in college. No one said I could do this. People said, don't go anywhere near a camera. Really? No, they didn't say that, but it was understood. I was not someone you'd think of that had any aspirations to be on television. And I got to Fox because I liked watching TV and I liked politics. And I just worked hard. And then Bill said he wanted to get me out of the office because I was bothering everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Because you were disrupting He said, bother everybody else outside. We can't have you in here anymore. So did he give you advice before you went out there? So I'd go out and do a shoot, and he'd say one line. He'd say, you know, ask them what their assessment is about this. And then I would have to fill in the blanks. Like he would send me to Compton with no security – and then like the next week he'd send me to like the Daily Coast convention with like four armed security men. I said, Bill, it's it's more dangerous in Compton. But he thinks the left is more dangerous. So would you do this today? I'm trying to bring back some of the man on the street stuff because it's nice outside. But you'd rather not do it yourself. You'd rather put another man on the I, street. I, oh, I, you want to do I it. haven't found a man that could do the street <laughs> like I could. Right. But I've been going back. We have another thing this weekend. I go to the Washington Square Park and ask them about the crime wave. You did do it already? Yeah, I've done a few the last couple of months. Thanks for not watching Waters World. Oh, I did not know you were I'm, I'm, br- I'm bringing them back for the summer because it's nice outside and because I have the time. And I've All learned right. how to balance my work schedule, unlike some people. <laughs> and uh, so you'll be seeing more of that on the weekends. Because you missed it in writing about I missed it? connecting with the audience. Right. That was basically my formula. You go out there into the country, you know, you're out there, and you hear from people. And people come up to you and you get a feel, you touch them, you feel them, you yeah. sniff them, you smell them. And you get a vibe for what America is feeling and you get a sense of where the energy is going. I miss that. So I'm trying to reconnect with the pulse. Good move. That's why uh, the best thing about the book tour. People's, it is hard traveling, not hard, but it, you know, it, it takes time and you've got to be organized. You've got to pretend on, depend on travel, which is always out of your control. But the best thing is talk to people, and they'll say, hey, why'd you say that? Most is supportive, but then they'll tell you what they really think right after the hello and <laughs> I watch you. Then they'll say, like, why are you guys doing this? Why'd you let it go? Or you knew, like, I knew the election was going to, accepting the election was going to be a bigger problem than anyone understood because I traveled like, right after the election, and I said to myself, there's no, not one Trump fan believes he lost. Right. There's not one. And, and isn't that a valuable thing? Fox because of it. Right. And that's valuable. And Huge. it informs your opinion when Absolutely. you do your shows. So before the 2016 election, I was traveling all across the country and I knew Trump was going to win. You get the chills. You see the signs. You In see the crowds. I knew it. I, I knew he was going to win. So it didn't surprise me when he won. Now, I wasn't out in the streets as much at all, really, before 2020. And I didn't have that feeling. 
You had no idea. I had that. I didn't have that grip on the street, and that's an important thing to have. And so now I'm going to get back out there and get the grip. Do you get the sense he's going to be speaking this weekend? Are you uh, is that going to affect Jess, uh, Jesse Waters' world? We're thinking about maybe turning some sound bites around. Okay. Next, um, he's going to go to, down to the border July yes. 3rd. So he's got Ohio and July 3rd. W- number one, without social media getting the word out, does that going to matter? You think it's going to affect the crowds? No, he has ways of getting word out. I mean, Fox will definitely be covering it. We've been promoting it, not promoting it, but we've been telegraphing it. And there's ways to find out. And I think people will show up and they'll respond to it. Right. Uh, without a pandemic with a huge crowd, uh, potentially – what kind of message do you think that sends? He's if, still there. Right. He's in the background. Do you think he's it, laying in wait? Do you think it bothers him that he lost that straw poll out in the western states with 300 people voting? To of DeSantis? course it does. You know the president. Of course he's very competitive and doesn't like to be anywhere but number 1. So do you expect him to make a comment about Ron DeSantis? I don't think he needs to get into any fights with DeSantis. That's that's not his agenda right now. If it comes to it and there's a primary, little, you know, he'll have a nickname. Right. <laughs> um, do you think these legal problems will ultimately decide whether he runs or not? Possible. It just, just depends how tenacious these local prosecutors are. You know, they can really it can really cause problems and you've seen those problems. I mean, look, and they could go after your taxes, the simplest taxes they can go after and do it. They Imagine can how find, complicated anything is. They can find a felony anywhere. But but I have a hunch. You want to hear it or are you in a rush? Uh, what do you got? All right. If, if they have as little as they say, for example, uh, the CFO of the company paid for his daughter's private school or son's private school with company funds, or Ivanka was listed as a consultant for a job that she was chairman of, if this is the stuff they push, this will make him bigger than ever because people understand fairness. And the people that were on the uh, on the on the fence and say, "Well, Trump caused his own problems," they're gonna go, "Really? You're gonna with everything going on in New York right now, with your inability to stop the homeless situation or be able to tame the subways and allow people to run around with guns and not prosecute." Thousands of people that destroyed the city during the pandemic. You're going to go after a former president for stuff he did before he was president when you were lauding him for it? I could. If this is the stuff that they're going to go after, I actually think that it could actually fuel the push. Theoretically, I agree with you, and it will fuel the push. But there is no public pressure on these Democrat prosecutors. They don't feel that in Manhattan. They don't feel that in the mainstream media. So they're not going to feel any pressure to say, you know what, we're going too far. We got to dial it back. They're bloodthirsty and they want they want they want blood and they'll do whatever they can. They'll make the CFO flip. They'll throw, we'll say 20 years unless you'd spill it. 20 years unless you spill it. We have you on this fraud, this fraud, this tax thing. They don't care. These people are really, really – this is brass-knuckle, brutal political savagery. We mean they went going after him like they did Plaxico Burris? Is that how they did with Plaxico? Plaxico Burris brought a gun. Right. He into, shot himself. Got into a club and right. shot himself in the foot and went to jail for a year and a half. Right. 
Right. Well, they had to make an example of him. Right. And now everyone's got a gun. We're the only one not armed in New York City. <laughs> right. Wait, or at you, least I thought I was. You're not packing? <laughs> no, I'm definitely, I'm definitely not. Yeah, I, had to dis, uh, I had to dismantle everything before you came in because you're people. You're advanced team. So if I want it, theoretically, if I don't get my free copy and I had to go buy How I Saved the World with Jesse Waters, how would I do it? HowISavedTheWorldBook.com. You can get a signed copy. You get it advanced. So on July 6th, you'll get a signed copy at your doorstep. Or you, you could pre-order it right now at Amazon or HarperCollins if you hate Amazon. Right. Do you have a, a way to see you in person yet? Is there a live signing? Is there anything? There you will promote? be live signings. There will be a day in the life of Jesse Waters that you can watch. And I will be bringing all those details to you. You will next be time. in the Nixon Library July 26th. Yes, I will be. <laughs> I'm just How do you, you know? <laughs> I just thanks to Allison. Thanks, Allie. Uh, back with more to know in just a moment. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. This is Brian Kilmeade. And don't forget, I'm going to be on Outnumbered at the top of the hour. And don't forget to watch my special. Uh, it's going to be What Made America Great, uh, the latest series, which features four great stories. It's a great way to end your Sunday. I think you'll love it. Uh, then, of course, you get it on Fox Nation the next day. They'll all drop, so you get four 40-minute episodes. So let's get to and find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Well, Conan O'Brien ended for his uh, series on TNT, uh, TBS, I should say. After 4,368 episodes, he had to go without an audience. I think it dispirited him, but for the most part, it was a. It seems to have been a great series. I haven't watched much of it when it was on, but I've been watching the final weeks. It has been really strong. He's going to go over to HBO Max. He's not going anywhere, but doing a nightly show on a network that wasn't giving him the prestige. But, man, did the stars come out to salute him. Will Ferrell was hysterical. He had, he had everybody. Jack Black was on. Even the uh, Homer Simpson, I guess, that did a special because he used to write for The Simpsons, came out and did a special. Yeah, they him. had a Homer give him the exit interview from TBS, which was pretty entertaining. But you don't watch The Simpsons, so you actually wouldn't get it. So he figured, eh, why give it to you? Not but, into yeah, cartoons. Conan's so loved overall. He's so yeah, smart. I mean, he looks so, so better, and he's not so dug in as anti-Trump and anti-Republican. He still goes left, but not... A box in a box left. He still just wants to be funny and appreciates comedy. Doesn't want to get too political. But he still has a wildly successful podcast. And then, like you said, he's going oh, to really? HBO. Yes. Okay. Next, Netflix to air in this new series is pretty cool. It's called Sexy Beast, a dating show that doesn't care about looks. The streaming service has ordered two more seasons of it, in which single people around the world completely transform their looks with animal makeup and prosthetics, and then head out on a blind date. Each episode of the series will feature a single person who's looking for someone with a great personality. They are presented with three potential love matches who are all disguised by the makeup. The single person will only see the real face of their chosen match when they make their pick. Bizarre. I'm looking at some of these pictures. Nuts. So you go out with a full animal face? Oh, I will... Um, encourage everyone listening to Google. I mean, the prosthetics are extensive. I mean, they look like legitimate foxes or unicorns. I mean, it's crazy. And I mean, it's. Do you it, why have you watched any? Of I it? have not. I probably would watch one episode to check it out. Um, but I will say, like, you don't see their face, but you're seeing their whole body, right? So you know, you know, if they work out, or you can, you know, tell something. You can. Okay. Uh, big biceps, uh, no cheekbones. I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> Next. Matthew McConaughey in striking distance if he gets in the Texas governor's race. The latest poll shows Abbott with a 49% approval. Matthew McConaughey, as far as I know, never wears shirts, 
acts never governs 43%. Does that surprise you? I mean, it doesn't, but it's also easy to have these numbers. Right before, if, you know, when you're not really officially in, there's nothing, you know, you're not you answering comprehensive I actually think questions. they're low. Because yeah. if he comes in, the theory of him being a great governor is there until he actually campaigns and we find out what he knows and what he does. He, he should be up 49-43. I would agree. He also, I will say, I mean, we interviewed him here, or you interviewed him. He is very level-headed, and, you know, hopefully he would just cut through the BS out there. But, again, sort of be a politician and talk about being a politician are two different things. Well, listen, uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. I'm going to be running up to the studio going on outnumbered and then talking about my special that you're going to be seeing about on Sunday night. Uh, keep it here. If you want to make comments, the phones weren't available all week, but if you want to make comments, go to briankillme.com. Just click on contact, and I'll be able to go through and find out what you thought about this week and what you want to talk about next week. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.